You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Amen. You can be seated. John, were you able to get that picture? John's getting ready to put a picture up there. Uh, and the, the, this year's 146 Westminster Kennel Show, uh, I, I watch these dog shows. I've always loved dogs. When I was a kid, if I came up missing, it was because I was li- literally sleeping with the dog in the doghouse. Uh, I love dogs. And I have a friend of mine, uh, Michael Mims, who uh, has a, uh, he's a breeder of what they call Dogo Argentinos. Um, Michael Mims is a great guy. He lives up around above Greenwood. He has an organization called Delta Dogo. They breed these dogs. This dog was uh, relatively new to Westminster. And the 146 Westminster just finished. And a bloodhound by the name of Trumpet won the Westminster Best in Show. But they were showing a dogo. This is a dogo. This was uh, a breed of dog that was developed in Argentina back in the 1920s. They have uh, bull mastiff. They have Newfoundland. They have uh, uh, American pit. uh, They have pit. They have the American bulldog. Have a lot of different lines in them. They were bred to protect families from uh, and animals from pumas, from mountain lions. You can pull these breeds up. I'm, get, I'm a little loud here. I feel a little loud. But they will actually, uh, they, they can kill a mountain lion. And there's been documented where they have done that. This dog was in the, in the show this past week. And so I was watching the show. And uh, Sheila was in the kitchen cooking. And so I hollered, Sheila, get in here quick. It's a dogo Argentino. So they bring this dog in. When the handler is bringing this dog in, the cameraman, I don't know what happened, but there was a disturbance. And when that happened, this this dogo turned and started growling and went toward the, went toward the, the commotion. The handler had to get back control of the dogo. She's walking along with the dogo, and the dogo instinctively does something. The dogo constantly is looking back at what it perceives to be a threat the entire time. This handler is trying to get the dog to walk in the right form and just to heal, to stay by the handler. But no matter what that she does, the dog is looking back at what the dog perceived to be a threat. Now, the dog did not place in the working class. So you can put the picture down. Uh, the, dog did not, uh, did, the dog did not win. It did not even uh, win in the working class, in its, particular, in its particular class. But I thought to myself, and the dogo's a member of the working class, I thought to myself, this was the only dog in the entire 146 Westminster Kennel Show that actually was working and doing what it was trained to do. And that was, it perceived a threat and it protected the handler and I believe would have protected anyone in that assembly, what it perceived to be a threat. It never took its eyes off that, that perceived threat. And you may say, well, what does that have to do 
with the sermon today? I don't know. I just wanted to brag on the dog. No, I'm teasing. But I thought to myself, when I saw that dog reacting that way, I thought, you know, there's two lessons here. I want you to hear me. That's the picture of God's Holy Spirit living in you. That's why Paul said this in Ephesians. He said, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Let me tell you what that means. That means, Paul said in Ephesians 1, that deposit of God's Holy Spirit that is living in you is more powerful than Satan, than all the demonic army of hell. Listen, I don't care what Hollywood puts out in the way of, you know, these movies, The Exorcist or whatever, and they paint Satan and that demonic realm as being very, you know, intimidating. Listen, it's not to the believer. In fact, the Bible tells you and I, it says to resist the devil and he'll flee from you. You don't run from the devil, the devil runs from you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That means all of hell and all its army combined is not more powerful. So first of all, when I saw that dogo, I thought that's the picture of the Holy Spirit working in your life and in my life, never taking his eyes off that spiritual enemy that you and I have. You have a spiritual enemy. Secondly, I thought to myself, you know, that's the picture sometimes of what a church looks like. Now, I, I, now, listen, you may not like what I'm about to say, and you may have one of these little, sweet little dogs. Jeffrey and Megan have a mutt. They have a mutt. Um, Obi. And Obi is an old dog. Obi is an old, fat dog. <laughs> Obi's got gray all around his face. But let me tell you, I love that dog. And let me tell you why I love him. And he nearly died when he was a puppy. You know why I love that dog? Because that dog has been bitten over and over and over again by cottonmouths, by moccasins. Why? Because they have about a three-acre pond there on their place. And that dog has been bit. But I have a feeling that dog has protected this family of five from an enemy, a predator. Every once in a while, you can get ready. Here comes Obi, have his head all swelled up, and your thought is he gets bit again. They carry him to the vet. But you know, I thought to myself, you know, that's, that, that's the, the West 146th Westminster Kennel show. That's like a lot of churches because you have these little sweet little, you know, the little toy class and all this. They had this little dog little white little dog and it had its fur and it had little ribbons and little braids and it pranced out there and I thought to myself if there was a threat this dog has no way to protect no way to do any I don't I mean, you know and the guy he was just kind of you know it was just kind of just kind of rubbed me the wrong way a little bit you know but I thought to myself I looked at all these different breeds of dogs they were all shampooed and many of manicured just looked absolutely gorgeous but they were of no value whatsoever. And a lot of times that's what the church looks like. You, you, sometimes you just got people, they look good, they look good in show. They're all decked out, dressed up, but they're really of no spiritual value whatsoever. You know, Paul here is talking about a unique group of people. And, and, and you know, Paul in verse 14 talks about love in verse 24 he ends with love and and he talks a lot about love but love is service 
And, and you know, when you get to the close of a letter like this, you kind of think, well, you know, this is kind of just some of the niceties. Paul's kind of sending some greetings, and he's just kind of closing it out. But let me tell you what 2 Timothy 3.16 says. You know what 2 Timothy 3.16 says? It says that every word in this Bible is inspired. It's God-breathed. It's the breath of God. Paul was just as much filled with the Holy Spirit when he wrote the conclusion to this letter as he was in the beginning. In fact, sometimes the reality is when you and I look at a conclusion of a letter or a conclusion of a speech or whatever it is, always remember, I think it was the Dallas Cowboys, but it may not have been. It may have been Alabama because I get Tom Landry and Bear Bryant kind of mixed up and it may have been Bear Bryant sounds like him. And I think it was, now that I'm thinking about it. Alabama was in a big game. Alabama was playing absolutely horrible. This is years ago. The guy with the hat, I don't know if you remember, Bear Bryant. They are playing horrible. They look horrible. They go into the halftime, and literally Bear Bryant walks in there. And these guys that play for the Crimson Tide, they think, man, the coach is getting ready to throw a fit, rake them over the coals, but instead... The coach walks in, Bear Bryant doesn't say one word, doesn't say a word, not a word, not the whole halftime, nothing. They're all sitting there, it is dead silent in the University of Alabama football locker room in halftime. And it was a bowl game, if I remember, it was a big game. They hadn't scored, they hadn't done nothing right, they were being beaten. And they went out the second half and they shut down their opponent won the bowl game, and, and afterwards, the media was interviewing some of the MVPs, some of the players, and they asked one of the linemen, they said, what turned the team around during halftime? He said, well, he said, let me tell you, he said, we dreaded going in there. We walked into the dressing room, we all sat down, nobody, you could have heard a pin drop, not a word. He said, Bear Bryant came in, he didn't say a word, he was dead silent. And when the guy came in and said, well, it's time, meaning it's time to go back out on the field, Bear Bryant said these words, let's go, girls. You know, sometimes the conclusion is powerful. And so Paul here is concluding this letter, and as he does so, first of all, he talks about what I believe is an example. I wrote this down. In fact, the first point is, is an example or a model or a hero. In other words, what Paul does, he says to this troubled church, let me give you an example, a model, a hero. Let me give you somebody to look up to. You know, I wrote this down. Who is your hero? Let me ask you that. Who's your hero? I asked Sheila that. I said, Sheila. I said, who's your hero? I said, now don't just give me a pat answer. Think about it a moment. Who's your hero? And she said, Dorothy Henderson. Now, some of you may not know Dorothy Henderson, but Dorothy Henderson is the wife of Dr. Jean Henderson, who was the pastor of First Baptist Church Brandon for about 20 years. Dorothy Henderson is this beautiful, sweet Christian woman who has always stood behind her husband and a great man. She is what Sheila was saying is Dorothy Henderson is a model, a role model, an example of the kind of woman I want to be. Who is your hero? Who are your role models? 
Who do you look to as an example? A role model? Who's a man or a woman that you look to? Who's a Christian? A parent? Somebody in your career? Maybe it's a teacher. What teacher do you look to and think, you know, that's the kind of teacher I want to be. I want to be like her. I want to be like him. Who do you want to be like? Who do you model yourself after? I wrote this down. You can tell a lot about a man or a woman by how they answer that question. Let me read that again. You can tell a lot about a man or a woman's character by who their heroes are. Isn't that true? I wrote this down. Dad and mom should live the kind of life that your children can hold up as an example. Mom, dad, you ought to live the kind of life that your children can look to you. They, they don't have to look to Hollywood. They don't have to look to the entertainment or the sports industry. They can look to, to a godly man or woman that lives in their own home, a man of integrity, a woman of integrity, a, a person of high moral values, a person who's a leader. And they can say, you know, it's not unusual for children to make a hero out of their dad or their mom. They're my hero. I saw, Gracie, I just saw you nod your head when I said something about your dad, your mom. Your dad ate with us. We met uh, David and Debbie and ate there in Brandon this past week. And David and Debbie came up and they said, just want to let you know, Derek may be coming. Well, anybody knows Derek, he's a mountain of a man. And so uh, we said, um, we said, we've got one more coming and he's a big man. And they said, well, I think the booth will be big enough. Now, I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking about fat. I'm talking about a big man. And uh, we told him, and it was so funny, when the, when the waiter came over, he said, wow, he is a big man. You know, there's nothing wrong with a parent being a hero. Truth of the matter is, kids should do what she did. The reality is, is the great problem in our day is that too few parents, pastors, politicians, sports figures, entertainment industry, few of them are the kind of example heroes or leaders that we would want our children to follow, right? Right? Take a left and look at first take a left and look at first Corinthians. Look what Paul said. First Corinthians, I think it's first Corinthians chapter eleven, verse one. Look at this. I pray, uh, he says here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, watch what he says here. What does he say there? Can we say it loud? Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Think about that. Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Man, isn't that powerful? You see, Paul, first of all, lifts himself up as an example. Paul said, listen, you can follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, let me tell you what Paul was saying. If you see me not following the example of Christ, then you don't follow my example. That's what he was saying. That's what parents ought to say. The reality is Paul was lifting himself up to a dysfunctional church. And then he goes on and he takes a man by the name of Stephanus. And this Stephanus is one of the first fruits of his work there in southern Greece. And he says, he says, listen, and Paul's proud of this man. You know what he says here? He says, listen, he said, you know, verse 15, that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia. 
Let me ask you something. I want you to think about this for a moment. I want you to think in your mind for a moment. I don't want you to raise your hand. I don't want you to set, talk out loud. I want to ask you a question because this is going to reveal a lot. Have you ever personally led one person to Christ? Sheila and I were sitting in, Sheila and I were sitting in the restaurant. I told you not to raise your hand. Because I don't want to, you're, you're stealing the glory that God could give you. But, I, but I, I, Sheila and I were eating with David and Debbie and Derek. And when it was over with, when we left there, I said, we made a mistake. I said, I made a mistake and it's haunted me. She said, what? I said, I, I said, we talked to the young man. We even gave him a good reference to his boss. But we never introduced him to Christ. We forgot. Let me tell you, you know what Jerry Clower said? Jerry Clower was the, they called him the mouth of the, of the South. He was a sales rep for Mississippi Chemical. And, and by the way, on racial reconciliation, racial, the racial civil rights, Owen Cooper, who was the, the head of Mississippi Chemical, was an extremely outspoken advocate of civil rights at a time when it wasn't popular. Men like Jerry Clow were a part of that group. So I have a lot of respect for them or I wouldn't even use them as an example. But Jerry Clower, you know what Jerry Clower said about Southern Baptist churches? He said most Southern Baptist churches and most disgruntled members could solve a lot of their griping and complaining if they would lead one person to Christ. Because watch because if you ever see somebody come down that aisle and stand out down here and speak to me and give their life to Christ and present themselves for membership and be baptized up there, when that happens, all that little stuff you get all worked up about doesn't mean anything anymore. You see, this was Paul's convert. Paul said, I, Acts 18, Paul said, I led this man to Christ, Stephanus. He is a good hero, good example. You want to follow this guy. You know, something about it. I remember years ago when I was at First Baptist Anguilla, I was doing a revival, and the place was full, and people were, you know, a lot of old farmers. And all of a sudden, there was a big farmer on my left. He was sitting there with his wife. And at a certain point, I could tell that big farmer was under conviction. Name was Paul. And then the next thing I knew, as soon as that invitation started, big old Paul, this big, this big farmer, he stepped out. He came down. I'll never forget. He collapsed. He, lit, he was a big guy, and I'm not a big guy. He collapsed on me. He just kind of fell on me, began to sob and to cry, and said, Brother Jeff, I want to give my life to Christ. Look back at his wife, Jan, she was crying. Church was all crying. People were weeping. And to this day, when I see Paul's picture, they'll post things on Facebook. The kids are growing up, grandkids. But when I see Paul, boy, I get a warm, fuzzy feeling because I think to myself, I had a part in him coming to Christ. Is there somebody in your life Life right now that you have personally led to Jesus Christ young people that goes for you too you have no right to look as if you are uh, excused from this question because some of you young people have golden opportunities where you live where you work where you go to school to talk to people about their faith young people have you led one person to Christ you know what Paul said 
Paul said, Stephanus is one of my converts. He's been following my example. And he's somebody that you could look to for a role model. Now the question is, why did he stand out? Look at verse 15. He says, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts. Now watch what it says. They devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Wow. You know, I wrote this down. What makes a hero? You ever think about that? What makes a hero? You know, I always said being a parent, being a parent, you want to raise kids that will be your heroes. Preaching a few weeks ago at First Baptist Floor, there was a couple sitting there in front of me, and I was talking about parenting. Afterwards, the man came up. He was emotional, teared up, and he said, Brother Jeff, he said, I gave my kids boundaries. I gave them the right moral and ethical. I gave them boundaries. He said, I just did not point them to Jesus Christ. And he wept. The reality is, is who's your heroes and what makes a hero? Paul said that this man was devoted to ministry. The word implies here, it means out of their own initiative. That's what it means. This man, out of his own initiative, had devoted himself to the ministry to the saints. Let me put this in perspective, parent. Imagine this afternoon, your teenager, your child, whoever it may be, your child goes home and a little while comes in there and says, Mom, come look at my room. And you walk into that room, the clothes are picked up in the hamper. The, the toys are picked up and put away. The room is straight, it's immaculate, it's clean. And all of a sudden you look as if you're somewhat shocked. This is unusual behavior. And you say these words, wait. You clean your room without being told? Be like Samford. You remember he'd hold his chest and say, hang on, Elizabeth, I'm coming to meet you. Right? You'd look at him and say, man, you know, uh, what you're saying is you did this without being told. You did this out of your own initiative. That's self-discipline. It's what we're parents, that's what we're teaching our children. Structured, disciplined life. Do you know that when the IMB appoints a missionary, especially in primitive places like Africa, some parts of Africa, do you know what they look for in a missionary? They look for a missionary that is self-motivated. Because everybody listen, when you're a missionary, you don't have no boss. You don't have anybody checking your work. You could literally go and live out in the bush of Africa and do absolutely nothing. You could go on a lot of mission fields, on a lot of locations, and have, because of no supervision, you could basically live the life fandango on the Southern Baptist Bill. But do you know what the IMB looks for? The International Mission Board looks for? They look for men and women that are self-motivated, self-disciplined. They do what they do. They do it out of their own initiative. That's powerful. And this is what Paul was saying. This person does not need an office. They don't need a title. They don't need recognition. They do what they do as ministry, as service. In fact, the word here, devoted, listen to this, it means to be addicted. Let me read it again. Paul said, you know the household of Stephanus, who were the first converts in Achaia. They have devoted themselves. No, they are addicted 
to the service of the saints. Wow. Addicted. Think about that. Think about addiction. What Paul was saying is they're so addicted, they get a, they get a buzz. They get a feel good. They get a high from ministering to people. Let me ask you something. Is that unusual? Is that unusual? Have you ever had some opportunity where you helped somebody that was hurting and struggling? You gave something away. You just did something out of the blue. You went to somebody you knew they were hurting and you, you did some kind of act of service or act of sacrifice and afterwards you walked away and you had a little bit of a spiritual eye. That's another thing that happens when you start sharing your faith. When you start sharing your faith, you know what the reality is? The reality is, is you get a little bit of a buzz. You get a little high. You get a feel good. Why? Everybody listen. What did I tell you Paul said was in living in you? The Holy Spirit. What does the Bible say? When one person repents, we looked at it with the prodigal. What happens in heaven? What do they do in heaven when it says somebody repents? Somebody say, it says they have a party up there. Remember when Jesus was talking to the, to the scribes and the Pharisees because they were not wanting to celebrate the, uh, that the fact that he was hanging around with sinners and, and gluttons and, and tax collectors. They got upset about that. And, and Jesus was saying, look, these people are coming into the kingdom. And let me tell you, my father's all excited. They're having a celebration. Do you know why you feel good when you do good? It's because in that moment, the Holy Spirit inside of you is welling up, flaming up. In that moment, there's happiness. There's joy. Man, there's a joy. You know what Paul said about this individual? He said this individual, he gets a buzz, he gets a high. John MacArthur said this. He said about drug addiction. He said drug addiction has three primary characteristics. Now with what I just said in mind, listen to this. Has three, and I'll close in a moment. Has three primary characteristics. First of all, drugs involve a strong habit. An overpowering desire, a compulsion to get the drug and to take it. Kanye, always remember, we were trying to help this woman, homeless woman, been struggling for years with a drug addiction, trying to help her get back on her feet again. And I'll never forget poor old Kanye. Man, Kanye, she just grab up anybody. Take them home. She's going to rehabilitate them by herself, you know. And so, Kanye, come up here, buddy. She took this person home. And Willie's back there laughing. And, buddy, she began to pour into this person, begin to beat the gospel into her, beat the Egypt out of her, you know, just just get, you know, just everything. And I'll never forget, Connie came up here two or three days later. She was all excited about this homeless woman. She looked different, dressed different, and everything else. She was making some headway. And Willie would tell you, when Kanye pulled up there and, she, and that woman got out of the car, she ran straight over there to where the drugs were. That's when the buzz goes away, doesn't it? You know why? Because the reality is she was hooked, overpowered by drugs. Same woman. You know what the same woman did sitting in my office? She sat there and literally beat her chest and said, God, why am I this way? Pastor, I've lost everything. I've lost my children. I've lost my grandchildren. I've lost my livelihood. I'm living on the streets. What's happened to me? I need help. And Kanye said, I'll help you. But if you don't change the heart, 
You see, this man here, it was a drug addiction. MacArthur went on to say, secondly, it involves a strong, a growing tolerance to the drug. In order to maintain the uh, desired effect, you have to have larger and larger doses of it. I'm never satisfied with the service. Sheila would say, wasn't it a great service? Or so-and-so got to say, my thought is, man, I wish it would have been full. I wish more people were here. I wish we were making a greater impact in this community. In fact, the man who will be here two weeks from today, I'm hoping John McCarty can be a part of that. Maybe I need John MacArthur. It just takes more and more. Listen, when you are addicted to the feel-good of serving, ministering, that it just takes more and more to get you to feel good. Thirdly, listen to what he says. The third characteristic is dependence. The state in which the addicted person must have the drug in order to function. Everybody listen. If I can't minister... If I can't do what I've done for the last 40 plus years, then I'd rather be dead. Sheila and I sacrificially serve 24-7. And I think that if we could not do that, we would just soon say, God, take us home. Some people will say, if I can't have my drug, and I can't have more of my drug, and I can't get the feelings that I get with my drug, then I would just soon be dead. Imagine if your drug is to be so filled and empowered with God's Holy Spirit that you live your life in service and sacrifice to everybody else. And let me tell you what will happen. You just want more and more of it. You know what you do? Let me tell you, and we'll close with this. This is what you do. You're just looking around. You know, I thought to myself, I thought it would be interesting. I was at Barnes & Noble yesterday. And Judy, who is the, um, she, she's the senior, she's the senior manager. She's, she manages Barnes & Noble, has been there for years and years. So I'm sitting there, Sheila and I are sitting there, because we went out there to get a book, and we're sitting there, and we notice that Judy, the one who manages Barnes & Noble, is over there, she comes over with a mop. And so she's mopping. Well, I've known Judy for a long time. So uh, finally, she comes back, I said, Judy, what you doing? She said, well, you know, we can't get help no more. She said, we can't get anybody to clean the buildings. Corporate's having problems getting somebody to clean the building. So we're just having to kind of make do as we do. I said, listen, I'll be glad to help. Let me, let me mop for you. Let me do that. But I thought to myself, could you imagine this? Could you imagine if Christian people just decided, we're going to start going around cleaning public bathrooms. Can you imagine going down to the corner down here with a pail and cleaning supplies? Say, look, I just want to step in here and clean your bathrooms for you. Oh, I could do that. I might catch something. 
You remember Jesus washing feet. Imagine if you started just made this commitment. Imagine you made this commitment that from this day forward for the rest of your life, you were going to look for every opportunity to minister to other people. You wanted to finish that way. You didn't want nobody waiting on you. You start waiting on everybody else. No, let me get that. Let me do this. And imagine the feeling that you get. And imagine you just want more of it. And imagine one day, in the middle of serving and ministering, you die. And then, absent from the body, present with the Lord, you're standing there in front of Jesus, and he smiles and says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. When I was hungry, you fed me. Naked, you clothed me. In prison, you visited me. Sick, you visited me. Lord, when were you? When, I, when you did it unto the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you. And Lord, we love you and we praise you. And Lord, we pray that, dear Lord, there would be more of us in this room that, dear Lord, would take this challenge, the task of a servant heart. That, Lord, we would begin to look at a man like Stephanus. As Paul said, he didn't just join in, he labored at it. He was addicted to ministry. He was addicted to a servant, servant heart. Lord, I think about my son-in-law, Matt, who went into Cracker Barrel one day and the little waitress was just down, discouraged. The whole side, one whole big area, was just covered in dirty dishes. It was just a mess. And this girl was just at the brink of tears. And she said, I'm sorry, I'm running behind. I've got so much to do. She took my son-in-law's order she went back to the kitchen, and when she came back, there was Matt. There was, that, there was Matt cleaning and policing all those tables, stacking all those dirty dishes, wiping those tables off, and people in that restaurant begin to laugh. Soon others join in. And what a glorious moment. When that little girl came back out, she cried. Lord, may we be those kind of people. Uh, don't wait on me. Let me wait on you. Let me serve. God, let me serve. And God, may we understand that when we have that kind of heart, that it is, it is hard for God to even call us home. <laughs> I can't call them home. They're, just got, they've do, they're doing too much for me. So Lord, make our hearts sensitive. If we're at the gas pumps and gases, $4.50 a gallon, we see some mom with a couple of kids, an old raggedy vehicle, and she's discouraged, looks defeated, putting $2.73 in that, in that vehicle. May we realize that she's struggling, and may we step up to the plate and make the sacrifice. Lord, make our ears and our eyes attentive to the broken and the hurting. Give us the ability to minister. And God, sometimes you'll use your Holy Spirit Sometimes you'll use your Holy Spirit, dear Lord, in a, in, a, in a very supernatural way. 
young man laid deceased in a hospital only for Jeffrey to be called in to, when the dad said, would you just put your hand on him and pray over him? There in Pensacola, Jeffrey walked in, put that big old hand on that boy's chest, began to pray when all of a sudden the nurses came in and said, we have a heartbeat. We never know, God, what you'll do. We don't just emptily sing these songs. We believe them. We believe you're a God of faith. So God, help us to touch people. Help us to embrace, to hug. Help us to reach out to the broken and the hurting and be a servant. And Lord, today, if there be one here that doesn't know you, they've never given their heart, their life to you. Right now, you're speaking to them. The first step is to invite the Holy Spirit that's knocking on that door, inviting Jesus to come into their life. And Lord, when we do that, the Bible says you will come in and you will fellowship with us and we with you. All of a sudden we have this indwelling counselor, this comforter who now gives us counsel, who says to us, that woman can't, she can't afford that gas, go help her. That little girl cleaning that table over there, she's, she's in a bad marriage, an abusive marriage. She's hurting. Go help her. That senior adult who doesn't have anybody coming to see her, go visit. Make that visit. God, make us servants. But save us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.